Welcome to the STEM Everyday Podcast. Each episode features educators sharing their practical ideas to put more science, technology, engineering, and math into every classroom every day. For show notes and more information, visit dailystem.com. Here's your host, Chris Woods. Well, I'm so excited that today we get to welcome Melanie Pepper to the STEM Everyday Podcast. She's uh, not only an educational researcher and educator at a university in Colorado, but she's an author of the brand new book, Biology Everywhere, How the Science of Life Matters to Life. And just listening and, and chatting with Melanie already, just a, a bunch of incredible uh, connection, I think, between the way that I think STEM should be taught and, and the way that Melanie especially focuses on how biology is taught. So uh, welcome to the show today, Melanie. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited um, because your book, Biology Everywhere, which you can find out more about at biologyeverywhere.com or at melaniepeffer.com, is such a great way to remind people that biology or any science really is everywhere. It is. And I, I, sometimes I think it comes as a surprise to people because we're so used to, you know, you have your science in the science classroom and then it kind of, kind of ends there. But when you stop and think about it and count how many different ways you interact with biology over the course of your day, it's actually a little surprising. I mean, it's, it starts when you wake up in the morning and the light hits your face. Why does light hitting your face wake you up? Oh, it's because it starts a bunch of chemical reactions in your brain that say it's time to wake up and all your hormones change. And, you know, just from the moment we wake up, we're already experiencing biology. That's awesome. So um, I, I I feel the same way about, about biology and and all aspects of STEM. So I'm, I'm really excited that we get to, to chat a little bit about your book today and uh, some ideas uh, for educators, especially about uh, how can they make good science teaching happen in their classroom and, and think about some of the barriers um, and make it more accessible, especially to maybe to kids that they're not so sciencey in their classroom. So, but first, Melanie, if you could just kind of share a little bit about how you got interested in science in the first place and, and even a little bit of, of how you ended up turning that into this, this career in, in science education. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I've always just gravitated towards science and teaching as well. So if there was two kind of pretend roles I played as a little kid, it was a scientist. So I would take the little the little hotel bottles of shampoo, yeah, uh, mix them together, and be like, "Those Ooh. are my experiments." Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I I would teach. I would, I would you know I, I had uh, my books and I would teach to my stuffed animals, and so that those kind of science and teaching things have always been there since the beginning. And then kind of getting older, and my dad is a scientist, and so he would take me to the lab, and the lab had a whiteboard, which when I was little, this is dating me a little bit, whiteboards were the thing. Wow. <laughs> and yeah. I would go and get to draw, and so that was always fun. And um, so, you know, I ended up going to graduate school because I wanted to do the science thing, and I got halfway through graduate school and kind of had an existential crisis about what I was doing with my life. <laughs> you know, like, it, it happens. Um, yep. But I, because I had these passions for teaching, and I had these passions for for um, research and for biology and for science. And I couldn't quite figure out a way to make it all make sense together. Right. And so that's when I started volunteering in the education department at the Pittsburgh Zoo and PPG Aquarium. Okay. I was teaching middle school and high school students on the weekends and working on my dissertation during the week. And while I was doing that, you know, I started asking myself these questions, but you know, how do I translate what I do in a lab every week into a classroom? How do we give authentic research experiences to students? Yeah. And so that 
ended up going down a whole worm hill with developing some educational technology and finding out about educational psychology and the learning sciences, oh, which yeah. kind of pushed me in that educational research direction. And then I've always tried to continue doing outreach. And so it was that early experience at the zoo, which really pushed me on this trajectory of kind of connecting research and education and how do we make education better and how do we work as a team and how do we bridge research and education to make better outcomes for our students and really thinking about the accessibility of biology too. Yeah. And that's such a great word that you just used there, Melanie. And if we can, we can kind of unpack that, that how do we make science accessible to, to every kid in our classroom? Now, now you're working with, with college students, but not necessarily college students that are, that are sciencey college students. Yeah, absolutely. So part of the inspiration from the book, part of it came from that experience at the zoo. And part of it came from, um, I was teaching non-STEM majors biology. So this is biology for the education students and for the criminal justice and the theater and the music students. And beginning of every semester, I'd always ask and say, what are you excited about this semester? What are you nervous about? Is there anything that I need to know about you? And universally, at least 35 to 40% of students at every semester would say, I'm afraid to take your class. I'm no good at science. I can't do this. I, I'm really afraid to take your exams. <laughs> and then she's like, whoa, as an educator, that hurts to hear students say, I'm afraid of your class. I don't want to take your class. Yeah, and, and, and Melanie, you're not a scary person at all. <laughs> no, but it, it's hard for me to hear, especially someone who gets excited about these topics. And so I, I kind of took a step back and, and thought about how I was teaching and thought about how I was approaching teaching with these students particularly. And I, I changed two things. And the first was, is that I really started to hit that focus on why does this matter? So if, if a theater student is sitting there looking at me saying, why do I need to know this? Why does that theater student need to know it? So where are the things we run into this outside of the classroom? And how does biology connect across disciplines? So why would a psychology student be interested in biology? Oh, well, here, let's talk about how human growth and development and how this is studied from a psychological perspective and also from a biological perspective. Or how does the business practice of business relate to biology? And so those two things really are what informed the lens of that book. Yeah, the the why is just important as the what, and um, you can't really teach the what if you if you don't have some some why mixed in there. I, I think of of a lot of the the students that you're teaching uh, at that that university level. Uh, we face uh, that same same situation every day in a in a classroom, no matter whether we're teaching kindergartners or twelfth graders. Um, there are, there are kids that are that are nervous about science. I, I would I would think that a lot less nervousness about science in maybe that kindergarten and first and, you know, elementary school, because to them, science is just wonder and, and creativity and learning about the world around them. And just thinking about how can we, Melanie, as educators, try to, to create some of that wonder. You know, you uh, found ways throughout your, your book, Biology Everywhere, of, of connecting science to everyday things that kids are interested in, that people are interested in. So you, you talked about theater. You, what are some ways that, that any educator can, can find some of those connections? I mean, of course, you've got some great examples in your book, but how do you, how do you just go about that in every day? You know, you're planning your lesson. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think I try not to ever lose my sense of wonder. Mm. And, and I, I try not to ever lose that lens. And sometimes it, it's nice to be a parent because my son helps me remember some of that sense of wonder sometimes. Yeah. 
um, I, I've used this example on my social media channel about ant hills because he gets so excited. <laughs> um, and we have to go look and talk about ant colonies and what are the ants doing? And it's not ever losing that sense of wonder. And it's something I talk about in, in my book. My husband always laughs at me because if we're out in nature, because we love to hike and, and um, go biking and be out and I'll stop and be like, oh, I have to take a picture of that. I got to show my students. <laughs> And I, and I try to bring that excitement in and that wonder and that, by the way, did you realize that that tree was killed by an emerald ash borer? And this yeah. is how you tell. And this is why you see the signs on the side of the highway. They say, don't move firewood because yeah. this is what happens. Yeah, I do the same thing, Melanie. So my, my, my family is always like, oh, he's going to take a picture again. But it's such an incredible way that we all have as educators. You can pull that, that smartphone out of your pocket, snap a picture, and instantly you can bring the outside, the, the, the STEM in the world around us right into your classroom um, just with a picture or a short video or whatever it may be, watching those ants crawling around. I've done that, you know, it's, it's incredible. So just thinking about how... Um, maybe kids don't have that that interest or excitement that they don't think they have. How do we how do we break down some of those barriers? How do we how do we work to to help make biology about more than just those ings, the memorizing, dissecting, analyzing? I I think it gets back to that that relatability and accessibility piece. Mm-hmm. Um, I've talked to so many students who said, oh, biology is just about cutting animals open and I don't want to do biology because I don't like dissections. I'm like, well, I don't either. And they're like, wait, I thought you were a biologist. I'm like, no, I, I am, but I still don't like dissecting things. <laughs> it's not my thing. Yeah. There's a lot of biology that has nothing to do with dissections. And so I, it gets back to that accessibility, relatability piece and, and breaking down these kinds of conceptions about it. And I was just reading some papers last week that were talking about identity development and how we use a lot of very masculine language when we talk about science and science about blowing stuff up and setting things on fire. And it conflicts with other identities people have about, well, I'm, I'm a girl and I don't like blowing stuff up. So then I can't be a scientist. And so it, it gets back to, to, you know, role models and talking about it and, and thinking about how we present it. And also letting the students drive it. I'm a big fan of listening to what students find interesting and following that. I mean, it's, it's a very student-centered pedagogy, of course, too, but it also helps make science more relatable if we go to back to what the students are interested in. There's a whole chapter of my book on the business of biology that was inspired because one of my business students did his capstone project on how grant funding works. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and thinking right now in, in 2020, you know, the coronavirus and, and COVID is such a, a huge topic. Well, guess what? It, it's biology, but it's connected to everything in our world today. There's a whole business side to it. There's a whole um, technology side to it and the research going on. And then, and then how does it impact psychology and, and emotions and uh, everything, every aspect that's touching of our lives today? Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting. I was just chatting with someone else about how the the COVID situation more than any other kind of science issue we deal with as a society is really forcing people to look at how science actually works. And I, I think the phrase this person used was, we're actually getting to see how the sausage is made. And many people for the first time, and it's a little bit of a shock because you see one news article come out telling you one thing, and then another news article comes out telling you another thing. And people are like, I don't know how to make sense of this. And it's like, well, that's that's how science really works is that people don't always agree and we get new evidence and that changes thing. I think we saw that very apparently with the um, 
recommendations for wearing masks. Yeah, yeah. Because originally we were we we were told not to wear masks, and then a few weeks later, in light of new evidence, because that's how science works, now suddenly everybody needs to wear a mask when they go outside the home. So, and, and again, like you said, all that, all that science that maybe usually takes place in a lab or, or in papers and in journals played out right in front of us uh, each and every day. And again, trying to find those connections, whatever it is, whether, whether the current world is going through a pandemic or whether it's just uh, a, a local industry or a section of, of business or commerce in your, in your county or your school district has some biological or science aspect to it. You know, trying to bring those things into your classroom, like you said, Melanie, to, to make it more practical and relevant to the kids in your classroom. Yeah, absolutely. And this is kind of an incredible opportunity for us as science teachers, too, because we're really seeing this scientific process on a really large level. And so it's a great way to be able to connect what we're talking about, how science works in the classroom directly to national and international news right now. Just thinking uh, a couple of things, and again, I want to ask you a little bit more about your book, uh, Biology Everywhere. And again, we're chatting with Melanie Peffer. Um, and again, you can find out more at biologyeverywhere.com or melaniepeffer.com. Your book, you've, you kind of just work through a bunch of different typical biology course topics. So obviously, this is a book that, that's great for university and stuff. It's obviously probably a book that's great for anyone teaching biology or life sciences in, in middle school, high school, but maybe just kind of work us through and, and, and explain why not only is it great for those, but for everyone. So I, I wrote it particularly to be for everyone. So it's not intended to be a textbook, although it could be a great ancillary resource in a classroom because we, yeah. we don't need another dense biology. <laughs> no. <laughs> we don't need a lot more dense any kind of textbooks. No, no, so that's not what I was going for. So it would be very approachable and accessible to middle school, high school, um, college. And then there's also a bit in there about ways to think about teaching these things too. And I actually am about to launch an online course that has a teacher professional development track that really talks about what are the best ways to teach with this philosophy about um, accessibility and interdisciplinarity. So the first two-thirds of the book is the content you usually find in a biology course, except it's specifically told through that lens of why this stuff comes up in our daily experiences. So yeah. in the chapter on cellular respiration, I talk about when I accidentally made hooch in my dorm room when I was a freshman <laughs> because I didn't know better. <laughs> So there's, there's self-deprecating stories in there. I talk about the emerald ash borer because it yeah. killed all the ash trees on my in-laws property. And so yeah. I have, yeah. you know, there's a picture that I took right in their backyard of a tree that was killed by the ash borer. Yeah. Yeah. So little bits like that. And then the last third of the book is actually my favorite because it's those interdisciplinary topics, the ones that you wouldn't usually see in a biology classroom. Like, like so art and music, right? Art, yeah, art and music and biology, business and biology, psychology, education and biology. I mean, obviously I know, but, but share an example. How does, how does biology and, and art uh, or biology and music connect together? That's a great question. And it's something I've thought a lot about because I've been a band geek for forever, for a very yeah. long time now. Um, <laughs> it's interesting because, so biology and physiology can tell us about our experiences with the arts. So for example, when you feel chills and you're listening to music, that's because of dopamine release. Okay. And if you block dopamine release, you don't feel anything when you listen to music anymore. But what's really interesting is how fine art has influenced biological science, both in the past and to this day. Because when you think about the early naturalists, if they saw something interesting in the environment, 
they had to be able to draw it. They couldn't pull out a cell phone and take a picture of it. You needed to be able to draw it. And one of my favorite examples was uh, Ramon Kaol is the, the father of neuroscience. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to be an artist growing up. And mm-hmm. his dad was like, no, you can't go into the arts. You have to be a doctor. And but he still really wanted to be an artist. And so he's most well known because he did about 3000 studies of the human brain. So just looking on a microscope and then being able to draw. And so because he had that artist lens of being able to look at things in terms of form and function, uh-huh. his drawings ended up informing the idea that the neuron is the fundamental um, unit of the brain. Yeah. And he went on to get the Nobel prize for that. And that's, What's really interesting about those drawings is that they're still in neuroscience textbooks. They're still used by scientists. Yeah. They also tour the world in art exhibitions. That's awesome. Kind of like, um, kind of like all the Rube Goldberg machines. They were actually just drawings by Rube Goldberg, who was just an artist, was was basically drawing comics and and never actually built any of them. Um, but that that same aspect, he just loved the art, but can combine in. Um, those elements of STEM or engineering, whatever, whatever that is that, that kids in your classroom, confidence, confidence is so important um, for a kid and for an educator when talking about uh, science. Any thoughts on how to, how to help build some of that confidence? I think you just have to try. And also, I am a big fan of throwing everything that you think you should be doing, don't ever should on yourself, out the window. <laughs> yeah. So, and I've fallen into that trap before of, oh, well, this is the way I was taught. And so I should teach this way. And it's like, well, wait a second. This actually was really inaccessible to me as a student. Why on earth am I teaching this way? And so I I come back a lot to how do I like to learn? How does my son like to learn? How do other people I've talked to like to learn? It's back to that, that student driven piece a little bit more. What are the things that make someone else feel confident? Yeah. What made me feel confident engaging in something? What made me excited to go and, and see something or do something? And I, I think that's where it, it kind of comes in is building that confidence. And also in ourselves too, is you know, there's so many bad portrayals of science and scientists as being yeah. hard and, you know, being the crazy old white guy. And I mean, I have people who come up to me like, well, I, I can't read your book. I'm just not smart enough. Uh-huh. I'm like, yes, you are. <laughs> So you'll hear me say a lot in my writing and too, it's just like, I think everybody is a science person. Yes, we yes. just have to, we just have to put a lot of those cultural viewpoints behind us yeah. and move forward. Yeah. The scientists are not all villains in movies and, and shows and they're not all just, um, yeah, people with great big, tall, white, uh, messed up hair. And, and the more that we can get rid of those uh, ideas as quickly as possible, the better. So. Thank you again for saying that, Melanie. And again, biologyeverywhere.com and uh, melaniepepper.com to find out more about, about all these great ideas. And of course, links and you're, you're um, doing writing and different things for, for different groups. You're speaking, um, sharing a bunch of the information from this. So um, if, especially if, if some of this stuff is uh, resonating with you or, or think that it would be great for, for your local university or schools and, and whatever, definitely reach out to, to Melanie uh, through some of those channels. Um, what do you hope is the future of, of science and STEM education? I hope that science and STEM education becomes more accessible. And there's a lot of different ways of saying that, not just so that everybody has an opportunity for a good STEM education, but also that for people who are in STEM classrooms, wherever they are, that it's accessible to them. Yeah. So it's not just about being the smartest kid or about memorizing or about blowing stuff up and you know, the, the blowing stuff up thing actually has a, a lot more hurt 
I've seen a lot of science outreach stuff that are just blowing things up. And then when students get in the classrooms and realize that chemistry is a lot more than blowing stuff up, they actually burn out. It kind of backfires a little bit. And so I'm hoping that we can really think about, think carefully about how to realistically and accessibly portray science content and why it really matters to our lives, because that's, that's what, what we really want, right? As teachers, it's not just about can, can a student give me the definition of a habitat. It's can a student be able to engage with this issue of habitats when they have to go and vote? And it's about whether or not oh, a, a dam is going to be put in or removed and their tax dollars are going to be spent and they have to make a decision. Yeah. Um, great, great thoughts. And yeah, I'm just imagining that blowing things up and, and it does, it, it makes a, makes a kid think that that's all science is. And then they go into class and yeah, there's going to be some memorizing it, You know, that may not be the funnest part of biology or, or any science, but there are things you have to memorize that you have to remember uh, so that you can do and engage in, in so many different aspects of, of the science or any kind of content. So um, yeah, creating burnout. That's great. Great thoughts, Melanie. I'm so glad uh, you've, you've been sharing some of these ideas with us today. Um, last question. I love to ask everybody if you could have somebody from, from STEM past or present come and, and be a guest speaker in your classroom to just inspire uh, the kids. I'm guessing it's probably not just going to be somebody with crazy white hair. Um, do you got, do you got anybody in mind who you'd love to just, uh, just come in and inspire your students? So, so when you first asked me this question, I immediately went to a bunch of male scientists because yeah. I still also have those cultural biases too. But, yeah. um, I think Hedy Lamarr's story is really interesting. Yeah. She was one of the golden age of Hollywood actresses and she did all of this, uh, research. I think she was a mathematician actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. that really helped with the war effort in World War II. And people kept telling her that she needed to just go back to being an actress and <laughs> to not do this stuff. And I'd be really curious to hear her perspective. And also as somebody who was a scientist and, a, and an artist too, yeah. if she felt that those things connected at all as well. Yeah. Again, if only we could kind of go back in time and, and capture some of those, those stories that, um, that exist uh, out there, uh, how, how, how much better uh, we'd be today. But I think to some extent, there are those stories out there right now. And, and the more that we look and find those stories as educators, the, the more that we can, we can really make STEM and all education more accessible and, and exciting for all of our students. And I think, Melanie, with, with your book, Biology Everywhere, I think you've definitely thrown a, a great log onto that great fire that, that needs to be built. So uh, we really appreciate the work you've done. And again, I can't, I can't recommend enough that people check out biologyeverywhere.com and, and maybe get a book copy of that uh, for themselves and the, the people in their lives. Any other last thoughts, uh, Melanie, for the audience today? Where have you experienced biology today? Where have, wait, is that a question for me? That's a question for you and anybody who's listening. That's, that's always my tagline. So where have you experienced biology today? I, I love that question, and I, and I know that you uh, that you've got that as kind of your tagline. She's got stickers of it too, and educators that yep. make a that would make a great uh, sticker or graphic uh, in your classroom as well. I tell you what, my back's been hurting for the past bunch of days, so uh, putting the ice packs on it is uh, is I know doing the biology in there, and um, I just wish the biology would hurry up and and get fixed. <laughs> Uh, hey, it works. I'm sorry your back hurts, but yes, yeah. the ice is going to lower inflammation and hopefully make you feel better. Yes. So, um, and again, 
great reminder that that STEM, that biology uh, is everywhere. It's, it's all around us. Um, as, as much as, as I love uh, m- the title of my podcast being um, the STEM Everyday Podcast, it could just as easily be the STEM Everywhere Podcast. And just like uh, your, your book is Biology Everywhere. That's, that's what we're all about as educators. And, and, and I really appreciate you sharing all the great ideas today with us today, Molly. All right. Thank you again for having me. And thank you for everyone for listening in too. Yeah. And again, if you want to find out more, uh, head to biologyeverywhere.com or melaniepepper.com. And as always, those are in the show notes as well. And remember to subscribe on whatever podcast app you're listening to and share it with your friends and share it with those people in your lives who need a little more confidence to add some STEM or biology to their everyday education for the kids around them. Because again, that's why we're in this educators. We're in this for the kids. 